Hello, and welcome to the How to Make a Podcast podcast. My name is Casey Ruff from Boundless Body LLC, and I am the host of Boundless Body Radio. Before October of 2020, I was not a podcaster. Now, I have recorded hundreds of episodes featuring incredible guests, created tons of helpful content, and have consistently generated thousands of downloads every month since I began. I'm just a regular dude trying to share a message, and now I'm ready to show you my process, my successes and failures, and everything I've learned along the way to help you start your own podcast. Together, we'll explore the entire process of having a podcasting idea and take it all the way to publishing your first episode and explore all the steps in between. Then, I'll give you all the tools that you will need so you can record as many episodes that you want to release after that. Podcasting is one of the most enriching skills I've ever added to my life, and I've learned a ton by talking with some of my heroes and sharing it with anyone who wants to join us on our journey. So, sit back, grab a notebook, take some notes, and welcome to the How to Make a Podcast podcast. Hello, hello. This is Casey Ruff, and welcome to episode 11 of season two. Today, we are speaking with Professor Chris White. Professor Chris White teaches history at Marshall University. He has written several books uh, specializing on the drug wars, especially in Latin America, and teaches several courses related to those issues. He has hosted several podcasts and has really done a great job learning how to adapt to the changing issues around him. His latest podcast is called Connected by Controversy with Chris White. Professor White was hosted on our primary podcast, so be sure to check out Chris's story on episode 56 of Boundless Body Radio. Professor Chris White, welcome to the How to Make a Podcast podcast. Thanks for having me on, Casey. This has been uh, a lot of fun listening to this new branch that you're uh, exploring with how to make a, a podcast, and I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of you out of it. Well, that's great. We, we couldn't have a better guest than you on um, since you've done so many different iterations of podcasting. Your latest is called Connected by Controversy. I don't know what kind of rock you've been living under for the last few years, but um, controversy does not necessarily connect us, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, 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 I kind of tampered with uh, several ideas that led up to that, actually. Um, but that's the one I landed on. And so uh, I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I love it. I love the approach. Um, I think it's so important and critical. And I want to talk about that. I, before we do, I want to um, talk about your journey into podcasting. When did you start to think you wanted a podcast? And, and how did that become an iteration? It's an interesting story, as I'm, I'm sure it was for you, too. I mean, it uh, basically is because last year in early January, the state of West Virginia was designated both as the place with the highest new infection rates of COVID and with the, uh, we also had the highest rate of vaccinations. And so I thought, well, you know, somebody needs to do a story about especially the higher rate of infection because nobody was doing that story. And so I called news places and, and most of them, you know, didn't get back to me, but one did. And they said, Hey, why don't you come on the show? And we'll interview you. You can talk about it. So I thought, well, I need to prepare if I'm going to be on television. And so then I, I thought, well, I'm going to over prepare so that I can not just come across as a novice. And I, I had been reading a lot and doing research, putting together a book about pandemics. And I thought, I'm going to make a podcast that's going to be a public service type of venue. And the perfect um, t venue to announce that podcast would be on the television show. And so the television or the, uh, you know, the, the news television show. So it was in preparation for that program that I created the podcast. 
Wow. And how did that evolve over time? Definitely the pandemic was changing and kind of getting more or less severe, depending on what month you were in. How did, how did that evolve your podcast? So I think I did about 46 episodes. Wow. And I, I didn't initially did that many. Thinking, wow. Yeah, I, I guess the last two or three were technically under um, a different name. Um, and that was pr- part of my problem is that I decided to change it. I wanted to amplify it and make it more Appalachia based instead of just West Virginia. So it started off as COVID in West Virginia with Chris White, the COVID in West Virginia podcast with Chris White. Um, and, and the initial thinking was, I'm just going to interview locals, especially people in the state of West Virginia, but uh, I'm in on the West end of the state. So I have more contacts out here. And we're going to talk about the news, really news that are, that's related to COVID, because that was probably the most important part of the pandemic, because we were coming up with solutions. But we also had this big surge after the holidays, as you remember. Um, so I was interviewing doctors and interviewing uh, other public health people. And then I started branching off into scholarship too, because I wanted the, the listeners to understand the broader historical context. And so I was interviewing historians who've looked at lots of diseases in the past to kind of contextualize COVID and eventually got to interview all these great authors in addition to local doctors um, here and upstate too, in the Northern part of the state. And, uh, and then tried to add some cultural elements to it. Like I interviewed um, a church worker out in North Carolina who's from Mexico, and he was telling me about the um, the the Mexican American community and how they were affected by COVID. And, and we did that one that episode in Spanish. Uh, so it was it was much more of kind of a public service type of podcast, um, and uh, to kind of make sure people were engaged about COVID related matters in West Virginia. Wow, who was funding all of this? Well, I was uh, taking care of it, and so was my editor, uh, um, and uh, and then I got a sponsor, uh, another person who's paid like uh, you know like I think it was like twenty four dollars for the subscription to Buzzsprout uh, one month, um, but basically that's that was the expense expenses was uh, was that. And on a monthly basis, yeah, I was paying for Zoom out of my own pocket, but my friend, I didn't realize that he was actually paying for the Buzzsprout account for a few months. And and he was the one using his uh, technical expertise on how to edit the music in and the intro and the outro. And he cleaned up a lot of the... Um, the uh, kind of you know, the interview lapses, if you will, that I didn't have the capacity to do. Gotcha. Was he teaching you things along the way on the more technical side? Well, he would just kind of, you know, we, I'd upload it to a Google drive that we both had access to and, uh, and then he would clean it up and then he would give it back to me and then I would upload it or he would actually, no, that's right. He would upload it then with this one. It's a little bit different. I'm taking care of most of it on my own. Um, and I'm trying to, even if there are little lapses in the interview, then I'm trying not to edit it out unless it's something that's egregious. And then I'll call on my friend to help me out. Nice. That's great. Um, so tell me what happened to the last podcast. Um, did that kind of fizzle out? What, what was the fate of that one? So at, at some point I started to realize that COVID was not the topic I wanted to keep talking about. Um, and I wanted to create something new that I called the Appalachian Renaissance. And I thought that had a really nice um, ring to it. And I figured I'd have a lot of people to interview. I think I did two or maybe three episodes along those lines. And it just didn't seem to have the same kind of momentum that I was hoping for. I wasn't getting as many listens. 
but I also felt like I wasn't really equipped for that subject. And so I think it was an example of uh, something I wanted to do, but it was outside of my lane. You know, I really want the best for Appalachia in general. I mean, everybody who's here does, but I realized that my main focus is not so much about the future as it is about the past. And so um, the COVID pandemic is kind of about the, about the present and the past. And a lot of what I was doing was actually interviewing people who had that historical perspective um, on COVID, uh, looking at other diseases and things like that. So I decided to kind of just, I, I just abandoned it. Once I got away from COVID and into the Appalachian Renaissance concept, it was almost like I can't go back to COVID anymore because I'd already abandoned that. So I just got, I, I stopped doing it altogether, I think in May of last year after those 40 some odd episodes. I see. And I'm, I'm wondering yeah. how you feel personally about this, but like if, if my main podcast, you know, Boundless Body Radio was based on something like more temporary that I knew was going to go away at some point, like a pandemic or something, uh, you know, health and fitness was going to go away or something. I, I would be so sad because I, absolutely love just doing the podcasts. It's something for me. Podcasting is something for me that always makes it onto a short list of things that I would do, you know, forever that just make me happy just from doing them, regardless of the cost, regardless of the benefit. Is that kind of how you feel about it? Yeah. You know, I initially, I thought this is going to be great. I'm going to do a ton of episodes and I will do like a weekly update. Uh, But, you know, I was new to it. So one of the problems is I got burnt out. I started doing three or four episodes a week and I had initially just thought it was going to be like a COVID update once a week, kind of along the lines of uh, what Michael um, Osterholm does with the Osterholm update. He does more of a United States wide and, and worldwide update every week. And I was thinking, oh, I'll do something just for West Virginia, but I did two many. And I calculated it. I realized if I would have just released each of those episodes once a week, like I initially planned and not been, um, not burned myself out after, uh, three or four months, then I would have had episodes that went into October. Um, and I wouldn't have been burned out, but as it was, I just kind of lost my momentum. And, uh, and then more recently I've been thinking, you know, I really want to be back in this because this is something that's kind of for, uh, you know, lots of people, uh, famous people, for example, have podcasts, other historians do too. And they find it that it's a way of being engaged with the online community. Um, and, and that's really what I'm, I'm trying to do is, is what I'm trying to do in as, uh, as a historian, as an educator is to reach as many people as I possibly can with evidence-based approaches to, to knowledge and to, and I thought, well, controversial issues, is that something that I can think my teeth into because pretty much everything I'm talking about in class can be uh, weaponized by one side or the other. And I thought, you know, this is, we're really trying to, we're really arguing about the same kinds of things, even though we are divided. I think we are, we're concerned about the same kinds of things like abortion or guns or, you know, gun rights people. They are not really in favor of murder, obviously. They're in favor, favor of safety. And so they think that having a gun is the best way to protect your family. And so, I, and so I thought, wait, that's a good example right there. They don't really want people to get hurt. They just have what I think is an incredibly misinformed perspective on the role of guns in society. But we're essentially on both sides. We want the world to be safer for ourselves and our kids. And so we can agree on that. 
That's great. Anyway, I, that's just, no, yeah. that's great. I, I love the concept. And I think it's absolutely something all of us need to be doing a lot more is just talking to understand different perspectives since we all have them. In your defense, as far as releasing a lot of episodes in a short amount of time, you know, you weren't always releasing things that were super time sensitive, but they were like very important and related to public health. And so I think you probably kind of had your hands tied. It's like you wouldn't want to sit on an episode where somebody was talking about the importance of getting vaccinated. You wouldn't want, you know, that in your queue for you know, several weeks or months, I, I kind of think you had to, you know, force those with some time sensitivity. You're right. Oh yeah. I didn't even think about that until just now. We, um, we interviewed, I couldn't, have, yeah, you're right. I couldn't have spread it out. We interviewed Rich Condit, uh, as well. And I know you've had him on both iterations of your show and it was the same kind of thing. It was like January of 2021. Like, yeah, I might be backed out three or four episodes, but guess what? He, Rick's rich Condit talking about vaccinations in January of 2021 is pretty damn important. And we're going to release it pretty quick. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that's right. That's what they do on Twiv. I'm so glad that, that, uh, you introduced me to Twiv too, but after you interviewed Con, uh, rich, um, and then you said, Oh, you haven't heard of Twib before. You got to check them out. And boy, I've listened to practically every one of their episodes ever since then. <laughs> and they're so timely in, in what they're presenting. Yeah, totally. It's just so critically important at that time. And yeah, we can't say enough about Twib and the job that they do, getting so much content out every single week. So, okay, so this is great. So you start to formulate kind of an idea of the direction you wanted to go. You landed on controversy. When, when was it finally like solidified? Like, I'm going to get my artwork. I'm going to get this started. We're going to schedule interviews. Let's get this going. That was in December, so just a couple months ago, uh, I was kind of tinkering with the idea in my head, and I, the first idea I had, I bounced off a couple of my close friends, uh, Pamela and Charlie Bowen, who have been, they're non-traditional students uh, that uh, have been in most of my classes here at Marshall, and uh, I, my idea at first was something kind of like a novelty, where I, I literally had the idea of being of pretending like having a character almost where I was acting like I was a Republican for a year. That was the, the going to be the initial title. And the idea was that I would literally try to put myself into the, to the shoes of the opposition. And so that I would interview people and then, um, and then they would be like a researcher, for example, who looked at something like abortion or gun rights or U S foreign policy or drugs, whatever it might be. And then I would try and essentially play the devil's advocate, but in a logical way. And so my friend came up with the artwork based on that concept because he liked it. And uh, Charlie came up with the, the artwork. And then I said, oh, when he, when he actually told me, sent me the artwork, I said, by the way, I changed it to Connected by Controversy, which was the result of me talking with uh, family members about this idea and then playing with the wording and then coming up with a wording that hadn't been used before uh, for uh, anything that I've been able to find. And so I thought, okay, that's actually, that's better than pretending to be a Republican for a year. But that idea of, of trying to be one for a year, that actually stemmed from conversations that my wife and I had had many times, even with our kids where we, cause our kids had said something like one time, you know, wouldn't you guys be happier if you were conservatives, you know, uh, because we are always criticizing, <laughs> uh, reading stuff and criticizing, things that the Republican party is doing, especially since the, um, the rise of George W. Bush and the invasions and war on terrorism and Trump and all that. And, uh, and then we thought, yeah, maybe it'd be easier if we just became Republicans where we just didn't have to be concerned about all these things all the time. Maybe we'd be happier. Um, and we've just kind of played around with the idea, not really 
we're not going to vote Republican, but we've just entertained the idea of, uh, of maybe just kind of going over to the other side because we have a lot of friends that are Republicans and we know that they're just as good morally as, as Democrats are. Um, but, but we, we grapple with this, um, this idea about why is it that, um, that people think differently than each other? You know, is it really that they're just misinformed? How can that be? Can, how can both sides be right and both sides be wrong? And, and is one side really right? And the other side wrong too, and I, I don't think that's the case. So that it's in the midst of all of that that I came up with this. That's great to be able to be a host of something like this. Uh, you have to, I would think, you would have to do these interviews extremely mindfully. Um, is it difficult to hear an opposite side of something you maybe don't agree with, yet you are able to kind of help that person tell their story through the interviewing process? Well, I have to say too, I haven't been able to find anybody that I disagree with yet. I've been trying to, um, you know, so it's kind of evolved into something different than what I initially intended. Um, the, the, the show is, doesn't look like it's going to have anybody I disagree with either. It's more about trying to get authors who have looked at controversial issues and, um, that are in an evidence-based way and then talking to them. And so it's, it's, uh, there's no longer, um, I mean, I, I would love to be able to find somebody that I disagree with on there. And, uh, because I actually like it when I, my mind is changed. Um, I guess I should say though, that in some of the cases, the authors have brought up things that I wouldn't believe in, or that I believe the opposite of. So I, like for example, um, the the second interview I did was actually a dual interview with a former colleague of mine, where we were interviewing a guy who wrote two books, one on nine eleven, one on JFK, and my my colleague and I had always just assumed that there were there was no evidence out there of a conspiracy for either one, or at least that the government reports that came out about them were as accurate as possible. But what this author showed is that it's not really the case. He didn't show that there are conspiracies. He actually showed that the conspiracy theorists are completely out in left field, but he did show that the government reports themselves were very different. So I didn't disagree with him, but before I read his books and before I interviewed him, I was disinclined to believe that the government reports were inaccurate. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's even in the latest episode that you dropped is all about conspiracy and the history of conspiracies. It's not just a an America 21st century thing. This goes back a long time. And in fact, we would probably be very surprised to see a lot of the conspiracies with our founding fathers. It's part of our history. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and the case of uh, of uh, Dan and that with that interview, I didn't really realize, and I think a lot of people didn't realize the the long history of it. And, and and he's been teaching the course for a long time. And so he's read the books that point out how the founding fathers and even people in the 1800s and, um, and right up to today have kind of those deep roots to conspiratorial thinking. Um, and that QAnon is just kind of the latest uh, manifestation of that, the worst um, uh, in a long line of, of uh, many, I'd say. Interesting. At least the worst in the past 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you are such a good host and you're very, very talented at listening. And I think we need the, the skill of listening to have the skill of understanding other people and other points of view. How have you cultivated your skill of listening? And has that trickled out into real life? 
I'd like to think that I could be uh, a better listener in real life. I feel like in my personal conversations with people, I'm, uh, I'm always inclined to learn something new, but I think it's different than when I'm on a podcast because the, the purpose is for that person to uh, inform the audience. And I'm part of that audience in that sense. So I'm a better listener, I think, on the podcast because my intention, it's almost like I'm, I feel like I'm um, back in school again. You know, I've asked this person to teach me and the rest of the audience something that's based on their year's worth of work. Uh, and, uh, but in my personal life, I've just, I've tried to be more uh, empathetic of people throughout time. I kind of got uh, some practice on that. I think you can relate to this. Both of us uh, spent considerable amount of time in Latin America. And the first couple months that I was in Mexico when I was 16 years old, I just had to learn to be quiet because there was nothing I could say uh, that was going to be of any, <laughs> you know, uh, um, substance because I didn't speak Spanish well enough. And so I, I realized I got to sit back and learn. And that was the best learning experience I ever had. Same thing when I was in Marine Corps boot camp too, you know, they didn't want to hear anything I had to say. I didn't have anything valuable at all to say. I had to consume um, what they were trying to teach me. And so those were good, I think, times of practice uh, that I think can translate into real life too. We can just kind of sit down and listen to people um, and, uh, and let them, uh, you know, let yourself absorb what they had teach you. Mm. Well, I wish you could go back and teach me that to be quiet. I remember a few months when I first got in, um, into Brazil and wasn't speaking the language very well, I did decide to open my mouth and I asked the lady who was standing on the bus next to me if she wanted to sit here in my seat. And I was kind of pointing down into my lap and I didn't say, I didn't say sit. I said, feel (laughs) conjugated the Uh, wrong word. And she was like, uh, no, and walked away. And the the guy that was with me just like was dying (laughs) laughing. So, oh my God. Good, good advice that you should have given me a while ago. <laughs> no, I, I had lots of uh, faux pas like that myself in Mexico. And because my inclination when I first got there was, oh, just try and talk as much as you can and then they'll help you out. But then I realized that I was expressing myself wrong. I'd use the wrong verb tenses like you were doing too. <laughs> and people would not so much make fun of me, but they would say, you know, like, come on, that's not the right way to say it. Just and so eventually I started to realize, okay, just wait until you have maybe one line that you can add in there. But I remember sitting around a group of friends I was in high school at the time and they were talking and this word was used and I had seen the word used in uh, textbooks before, but I had never heard it in the context that made sense. And it was the word Cuyo, C-U-Y-O, and it means whose. So it's only used in the middle of a sentence, you know? So then I finally understood what that word meant because I understood the broader context of the the story that someone was telling. And that's why it's important to listen for as long as you can. You know, you can't just acquire information. You have to understand the context too. Yeah, I absolutely love that. When, when you were planning out Connected by Controversy, did you have a, a more narrow range of topics that you wanted to discuss? It certainly is a pretty wide range of interviews that you've done so far. I mean, we've had Joel Salatin you've had on talking about food systems. I followed his content for a very long time. Rich Condit, who we mentioned, the virologist, um, again, talking about conspiracies. Did, did you know that it, you wanted a big, broad range of topics when you first started? Yeah, I uh, I thought that the, because I, I've 
read a considerable amount ever since uh, 9-11 in particular. When 9-11 happened, I was in graduate school working on a degree in Latin American studies, um, a master's degree, and then a PhD in Latin American history. And But because there were all these other things going on in the Middle East, politically, in the United States, too, I was always kind of doubling up with my readings, reading books about this, uh, this, the context of the war on terrorism, and then also reading books for my own research in my classes. And, uh, and I've trying to kind of continue to do that to this day, because what I found, you know, a lot of times with scholars, we tend to focus on one thing. And, uh, but I've found so many connections to many other things. There's an example with Joel Salatin and actually with the Salatin um, episodes, that is an example of somebody that I disagree with on, on, on political issues and on religious issues. Uh, so, um, so your point about that earlier um, is valid. I guess I just hadn't remembered some of the examples um, of that. But, uh, and I pointed out in the episode too, I said, you know, this is an example of how we can disagree on certain things, you know, because we disagreed on a lot um, outside of the food industry critiques that we were talking about. Um, and when he was talking about our energy uses and how our dependency on Middle East oil is also part of our inept food system that we have, you know, the corporate uh, agricultural system depends on Middle East oil in part, and that leads us into wars, facilitates our involvement with dictatorships as well. It was, uh, it was that kind of a connection that was so important because that also relates to the way that we relate to uh, other countries in Latin America too. Wow. Yeah. Super interesting. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned editing earlier and it sounds like you edit less now than you used to, which seems to be a trend for most of the podcasters that I talk to. Do, do you feel like that's the case that you're making less edits now than you used to? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it used to take a lot more time. I would, I would uh, go back and listen to the episode and find areas where I had said, um, or where somebody else had, or, uh, you know, clearing my throat, you know, things like that. I wanted to keep it all, um, cleaned up. And so then I would identify all these parts and that took so long to do that. And then I would send those notes to my friend, Isaac, cause I'm not very, uh, savvy with that kind of, uh, editing technology and, uh, and he is, and then he'd bounce it back and I'd review it. And that just took so much extra time. And I just thought, I, you know, if I want to do it, I want to, I want this to be about getting the content out and then I can't let it consume too much more of my life. And so I designate, you know, an hour, a couple times a week where I do these interviews and then I schedule them for release and I can kind of just walk away from it at that point. Yeah, that's great. What other advice would you have for other podcasters who don't want to reach that same level of burnout? Like you said, any other things that you use to kind of really streamline your process? Definitely to stay in uh, their lane. You know, the, the, you know, once you find your element of what you are good at and what you want to learn more and more about as much as possible, kind of like with yours, you know, you're trying to um, you're always reading, listening to books too, and, and paying attention to up and coming authors. And so it's like a feedback loop where it's helping out your profession. It's helping out the advice that you can give to, uh, to your clients too, and for your own wellness. Um, and so, uh, it's, uh, so reading these books and then talking to these authors and then, and then kind of advertising for them, their, uh, their work is all about promoting wellness, which was, which is what you're about. 
Mm. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I think it's important to stay on topic as much as possible. And like you said, stay in your lane. You included, um, a co-host. I believe it was one of your students on the Joel Salatin, um, episode. Is that something you played with a lot or something you might continue to do down the road? Yeah, I think I'm going to keep doing that. I've enjoyed doing it because, uh, people like Keith Brown, who's a former master's degree student of mine. Um, he and I have become close and he's the one who actually told me about Joel Salatin back in 08. Um, he's the one who got me to, to watch food Inc and to read, um, uh, Michael Pollan's books to where Joel Salatin is mentioned. Um, so I thought, you know, I'm going to, I want to include him on it. I also, I just thought he, he could add some uh, different perspective and in a way too, it's, you know, people like, uh, some of the people that I have on the show are people that I used to hang out with more, but I don't see them as much in person. Either they moved away or they, or because of COVID, we just don't, you know, hang out as much anymore. So that was kind of part of it with Keith is that I wanted to, uh, to see him and be in a conversation with him <laughs> as well. And, and same thing with Dan, my, my, since my, Dan Holbrook, he's been on a couple episodes with me now. He co-hosted one and then I interviewed him. Uh, I used to see him every day and we'd have these great conversations in the office. But ever since he retired last year, haven't seen him as much. And so it's been uh, it's been nice to have him on the show because I can kind of feel like we're hanging out in the office again, talking about important issues. Yeah, that's great. Well, you really pulled it off well on the episode that I heard. It, it just sounded more conversational with other people bringing different elements to the conversation. So I really like that and hope you do at least a little bit more of that in the future. Your audio quality has evolved a crazy amount. Your audio quality has gotten a lot, a lot, a lot better um, over time. Can you tell us some of the things that you have changed or focused on to get better quality of audio? Uh, I think that it's uh, the microphone, you know, I upgraded the microphone and uh, I've tried to be uh, as conscientious with the people, you know, I do a, a mic check with people when they, whenever they come on and then I can do an adjustment in the settings, very rudimentary adjustments, but sometimes it has to happen in order for the, uh, the quality come through. I, I've still made some, uh, draw the ball in some cases where I've just been too far away or I've been too close and it comes cross a little bit more scratchy, but it's kind of a work in progress. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, it's definitely, um, making a lot of progress. Um, so kudos to that. What Thanks. metrics, what metrics do you look at to let you know that you are on track and you are achieving what you want to achieve? So yeah, I'm looking at the amount of uh, downloads that I can see on Buzzsprout. Um, and also, uh, the amount of listens that I'm getting on, uh, on YouTube and, uh, I've actually found that uh, the I, I'm still kind of collecting data to figure out what types of episodes are the most interesting to people. But it seems like people care a lot more when I have a co-host and when uh, when it's a local issue, too. So I've had a couple of interviews that were um, about a local issue, especially when we talked about, um, I think, uh, Last time it was about the uh, the preacher that was in the high school, and uh, and so I did inter interviews with parents and with a local atheist and with a with my wife who's a, an educational specialist, and and so I think people around here they're much more inclined to listen to to those uh, stories because they're more relevant for people that are around here as opposed to um, the uh, kind of a famous historian which might be of more interest to me. 
uh, those aren't getting nearly as many uh, hits as the, the local things are. Yeah, gotcha. Have you had, I, I shared an embarrassing moment. Um, so I think you have to now. Do you have any embarrassing like podcast failures recently? Actually, yeah. In okay, so our interview, actually, I, I just remembered our interview is going to release um, tomorrow. There were some things that I had said in there that I just felt like didn't come across as very articulate. And I, I, li- I listened back at it again. I was like, no, I don't know what I was trying to say there. And so I, uh, I cut those, <laughs> that part out, just uh, things that I had said that uh, didn't really flow very well. And I think that's an important example of where editing can help because you don't really want to um, make it totally raw because it, you know, you, if you're in the middle of a conversation, if it's not a formal interview and it's conversational, then you might say something that is um, not so much offensive, but, but doesn't uh, make you or your guest uh, come off very good. Or, uh, you know, it's unflattering to you. It makes you sound uninformed or, or selfish or something like that. And so I had made a comment or two during that last interview that I didn't really think were, was necessary. It didn't help, uh, with my own, I, I didn't like the way I sounded. Yeah. Gotcha. It, it is interesting. Yeah. I, I've noticed over time, maybe I'm just self-conscious, but I edit, I edit my guests less than I used to. And I maybe edit myself a little bit more when I haven't been as concise with a question. Uh, I, I keep like a running tally of like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm down five here. <laughs> Got to clean it up. Ask better questions, stupid. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, Questions come across as uh, as really well informed. I think uh, that the, the, I like the format too because you come across as you as informed yourself. You you can tell that you've read the book or whatever it might be, um, but at the same time, you know your your questions are very uh, good at facilitating a response and infor- a, a very detailed response from the person. So if you're uh, you're demonstrating that you're excited for the person to be on the program. There's a lot of energy in there, and. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, as much as they do uh, about your own field too. And you've acquired all this information that comes across well in your, um, in your interviews. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. I think the same about you. I can tell that when you are going into these episodes, you have done all your homework, you know, what you're going to talk about how much preparation do you make when it comes to crafting some of those questions? Like sometimes I'll just have like random words of things that I want to hit. And other times I'll I'll try to like type out a question in a way that I want to ask it almost like nearly word for word and just try to make it sound as natural as possible. What level of question asking do you go to uh, um, when you're doing your show? I think that's something that's also changed with this uh, with this podcast is, uh, with the COVID one, I had set questions ahead of time and I would most of the time or half the time, I would even send them to the person I was about to interview so they could prepare in advance. And it's certainly with some people that worked, but with others, I found that they were a lot more kind of, uh, you know, uh, robotic almost in their responses. They would read responses, not very often, but, um, but then, uh, then this time I started off doing the same thing. I had some set questions for the first, maybe the first three or four. And then I thought, you know, this is taking too much time. And I don't necessarily think that it's helping with the quality of the conversation because I know I, mean, I had the book in front of me. I've read it two or three times by this point, because most of these books I've read a long time ago, and then I'm revisiting them now. And so I'll read it within, you know, in the day leading up to the uh, presentation. A lot of these books are also books I'm using and referring to in my class lectures too. Um, 
So, uh, so now I go into it just as a conversation without notes. And I'm finding that it's just as good as when I prepared for a long time beforehand with a bunch of set questions. Yeah. But either way, you've done the preparation enough to earn the right to be able to have a really meaningful conversation with these people. So I really appreciate that. And I, I see both sides. I think both sides can be really valuable. So I thank you for sharing how that has evolved for you over time. We asked about um, an embarrassing podcast moment. How about your favorite podcast moment? Podcasting is so special in the way that it allows you to talk to people that you might not normally get to talk to. And sometimes you know, you just catch them saying something that has has never quite been said in the way that they said it in a time where you could really appreciate and understand it. I, I have thought of several, you know, kind of sound bites over the years of doing podcasting that have really stood out to me. Is there any one particular one that stands out to you? Oh gosh, yeah, there are several. Um, there, the first one I can think of is with. A professor recently, uh, I guess in January, I, I, uh, January 3rd was the third episode of this recent podcast that came out um, with Professor Rashid Khalidi, who's written a bunch of books about the Arab-Israeli conflicts. And I had read his book twice all the way through, and I understood it as you know the, the historical timeline. It's a hundred-year history of the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. But then talking to him, I had this aha moment uh, moment when he really uh, enunciated and emphasized that the point of, that he was trying to make was that the decisions that are really shaping, the pivotal decisions that are shaping the people in that Palestinian-Israeli uh, conflict are, uh, are coming from the empires. So the British Empire, the Ottoman Empire, the U.S. as well, that the decisions from these great powers are really the ones that are determining the fate of the people in those places. And that's when it hit me. And I, that's really stuck with me for a long time. That applies to so many other things. It's not just the, you know, the people who are fighting in a certain place, they're not just fighting because they hate each other. That's not an explanation. Well, why is it that they are hating each other? They wouldn't have, if they didn't have to be forced into these, this situation where they both have to exist in the same location and they're both very different. And one side's being assisted by one empire, the other side's being assisted by another or, or whatever it might be. So that was a, it was great to be able to have that aha moment. And I've had several others like that, but that's the one that stands out to me. Wow. I love that. Understanding a little yeah. bit more about the context behind something. You know, I was, I was, I, I'm not as fortunate to not get a great professor of history like you. And I remember, you know, learning history and being so interested in it, but it was more just the dates and this is what happened on this date and, and without really learning the why and the, the, the stories behind it. And I think where that's where we can really learn so much as humans is understanding some of the, the stories that made the history what it was. Was. Um, do you have any other advice for podcasters out there, people who are thinking about maybe getting started or are thinking about changing things up the way that you have? I, I think uh, the, uh, the main piece of advice would be that you want to find something that is going to kind of grab people's attention and keep them coming back. And that's the trick. You know, you can have one episode that, uh, that really dazzles them, but then that doesn't mean they're going to keep coming back to the next one. And so you have to put a lot of thought into it. Um, and that, because it's very difficult to rebuild that audience too. So I've got someone coming up in uh, next week that I interviewed a couple weeks ago, uh, Alex Vitali, who wrote the book, the end of policing. And that book is really addressing not just the defund the police 
concept, but it's looking at why is it that we actually even have policing? And there's these big questions that he addresses in there. And so at the end of the conversation, you know, you have to, you have to be willing to kind of uh, accept that that author is going to inform you of something that you haven't thought of before, but you also don't necessarily have to uh, accept everything that they're saying. And that, I think, you know, if you're willing to be open to it, I think that will allow people to keep coming back. You don't have to necessarily have something you totally agree with. You have to be willing to be open so that you can encourage others to want to be open to those same ideas. That is great advice. Great place to end. Chris White, where would you like people to go to find your podcast? So it's available on uh, Audible and on Spotify and on Buzzsprout right now. I'm still trying to get it on iTunes. Gotcha. Well, we will link to that in the notes. Professor Chris White, host of the Connected by Controversy podcast. Thank you so very much for taking the time to explain your process. It is a really, really great show. I would highly recommend it to anybody. I think you do such a great job, like we said, of of dancing around certain issues and, and understanding people and allowing them to tell their story through listening. So thank you so very much for all that you do. And thank you for coming on our show today. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Casey. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the How to Make a Podcast podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a rating and review on Apple. Also, be sure to check out the show that made all of this possible, Boundless Body Radio, where we provide tons of helpful and informative content, feature incredible guests, and talk all about health and wellness. Cheers, and thank you for joining us on the How to Make a Podcast podcast.